In this episode, my friend Kerr Shaw sits down with me and he shares with us his experience from his initial exposure to the infinite banking concept to becoming his own banker and then on to becoming an authorized NNI practitioner. I had fun and I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. That's also another thing, you know, we touched on earlier is education piece, right? It is a lifelong asset. It is something you have to, you know, for younger folks, you know, realize that if you're in your 30s or 20s or, you know, 40s even, you have to plan on managing this for the long term. Yeah. And so, you know, like you, I like to provide great service to, to my clients, but who knows what happens in 20, 30 years from now, right? Yeah, right. They need to understand how to be able to use this on their own. And that's the first step in knowing, you know, and getting the system is, is being able to, to, to manage that and handle it yourself. Yeah. If you need to. Yeah, no question. No question about that. So it's really a lifelong of learning. Yeah. You know, and we all learn from experience. When you start applying and, you know, practicing, I mean, you you learn. And the more you learn, then, of course, you know, that's experience. And then the more experience you have, your your confidence level goes up. Yeah. And that's when I, you know, talking to agents and whatnot, I think that's more of a, of a, of a good indicator, right? If they're having those kind of discussions versus trying to say the structure versus that structure right off the bat. You know, now, you know, personally, I bought policies for my, me and my family of all kinds of different structures. Yeah. They make sense for what I was trying to accomplish at that time. Yeah. There's no one size fits all. Exactly. Even, even like, even in your office. Yeah. See, even in your family, not one size fits all. That's right. And the idea that that's where you even start to make a decision is from an illustration is wrong. And then a, a ratio of premium split allocated between PUA or base is wrong. You know, if you back up and, Look at what you're trying to do. But it's very hard as a young man or young individual, young person. You know, when I was 18, 19, and 20, I couldn't see myself at 55 or 60 and had, you know, no idea uh, what what you'd be doing. And um, I I remember being young enough and, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to make it to age 30, (laughs) you know, much less 40, you know. But – uh, one thing's been consistent in my life. Uh, I love people. I love being around people. And there's always a need for capital. Yes. And it doesn't go away. And it doesn't necessarily diminish. You know, I mean, everybody's doing different things. But, you know, the need for capital does not go away. You know, to add to that, the need for capital is going, but also how you warehouse and store it is very important too, right? One thing that I've really taken away from IBC is that when you reduce your opportunity cost and you have a good place to store your wealth, Reduce the FOMO, right? If you have a lot of capital and it's not in some sort of plan for it, right, or in some sort of structure like this, you're always looking, what should I do next? I'd have to put this to work. And you may take on some risks you may not want to mm-hmm. just because you're afraid that, you know, it's just sitting there doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, in this type of paradigm, it limits a lot of that. I wait for good deals to come to me, good opportunities yeah. come to me, and I'm okay if they don't, and I'll wait. I love that you <laughs> mentioned that because I've suffered from FOMO my whole life almost. Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, I just want to. I want to know everything that I can possibly know and, you know, and participate everything in everything and everything that I can, you know, at least have an interest in and, uh, and patient capital, patient capital. Uh, I think Stern Stewart, uh, in EVA and Nelson's book, you know, patient capital, you know, I can, I can focus on just paying a premium because I'm telling you premium is premium is premium and it, the problem is a problem and the premium is a solution. When I say premium is premium is premium, what I mean is, you know, this this idea that basis premium and then the PUA is cash is erroneous. It's all premium. 
premium is the solution. Why? The cash value is the derivative of the premium. We all have a, a need for capital that gets greater and greater or doesn't go away. Yep. So premium, premium, premium. If I just focus on that, right, the the um, idea that, um, you know, an opportunity attracts capital, I mean, that's a paradigm of Wall Street and um, no, it's capital attracts the opportunity. That's right. So <clears throat> the FOMO does go away. The fear of missing out does go away. This urgent need that I have to deploy the capital diminishes greatly. Um, you know, really to the point, like, I love it. It's like you focus on accumulating capital and that's patient capital. And then, you know, you, you can say, oh, this is a deal. I want to participate in that. Or no, I don't. And, you're fine either way. Yeah. All right. And that's what I kind of called my agency, Engineered Capital. You call it what? My agency, I named it Engineered Capital, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's my background in engineering, obviously, but also I'm engineering these capital solutions for individual to person, right? It makes sense to be able to cap- accumulate it properly, store it properly, and deploy it properly. And that's yeah. that's, that's really an engineering problem sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It, it completely is. Yeah. You know, I think that if you build the right foundation, you know, and if you're going to build a foundation, especially in Texas, you know, we have this clay soil that moves, you know, <laughs> expands and contracts 47 times throughout one season. You probably need to have your foundation engineered. Yeah. So when I hire engineers work for me, there, you know, there's two kinds of engineers I see. The ones that don't have a lot of like, they don't know all the variables, all the things that are not right, and they get frozen. They can't, they can't function. They can't ever finish a project because there's too many unknowns. They can't manage it, right? And that's not good. You know, there's, there's other engineers. They know there's known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns, right? And they think about that, and they strategically design something or build something that can handle those, right? With enough flexibility that if something comes out from left field, it's not going to fall apart. Yeah. And so I think that same kind of thinking needs to apply to, to setting up somebody with IBC and these, these structures for policies and whatnot. I see. You're an engineer. You think like that. I love it. <laughs> I'm just a layman. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Right foundation, the correct, you know. As much flexibility without uh, jeopardizing the integrity yeah. of the policy and the structure, you know, over time. And the future is unknown. You know, I mean, that's, I love the way you said it. There's knowns, knowns, unknowns. And yeah, I think I think that's, you know, when people start talking to me about these, they see online, you know, the, these kind of like, you, I think you refer to Frankenstein policies, right? Why wouldn't I do this? And I start talking, you know, there's unknown unknowns out there, right? You, there's some things you can't really design for, but you need to know your design has to be able to handle some sort of, you know, flexibility and, you know, shock to the system. Yeah. And so and they start talking, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, like, I don't want this thing that only works in one case, and if everything goes well, you know, that's not a very strong system. Yeah, when does everything <laughs> always go right? <laughs> right. Right. So, cool. What yeah. else you got? It's good. It's good. Um, so I guess you want to go back to some examples we talked about? or Yeah. Okay. I want to go wherever you're leading, sir. Share with us, you know, because I mean, it's a you got a great story. Twenty years in engineer, DOD. Um, but yeah, on that note, you know, IBC also has. You know, I've always been, you know, an investor and entrepreneur minded. But I always had this kind of the golden handcuffs, right? I was at this W two job that, you know, I had a great opportunity. I learned a lot of great stuff, a lot of great skills. I started there as a student intern. You know, it was a really good opportunity. But at the same time, it probably having that took away from the entrepreneurial side of me, right? Yeah. And so now that I'm getting into more into the IBC and more just being my own agent and whatnot, the entrepreneurial side is coming more to the forefront, right? And so I like that that's uh, less dependency on a W2 type income and whatnot and more 
I'm just not myself. And so that that's very valuable too. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think another good example, um, a couple of years ago, we were in the middle of buying a new home for my family. And this wasn't just for investment, just for us to live in. But uh, so I, I found a house. And Does that, that mean you gave more for it than you would have if it was an investment property? I mean, I'm just asking. No, well, actually, that, you know, just digress a little bit. Originally, you know, my parents were a little older, and so I wanted to do something to help take care of them as well. So I was going to build a house and have a guest house for them to live in. But then my mom, she, she really likes her neighborhood and her neighbors and whatnot, so she didn't want to leave that. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, uh, a house popped up in their neighborhood right across the street, my parents. Wow. <laughs> and so I accessed the capital, and I jumped on it, and I got it, right? So you had to give a little more because your mama lived across the street. That's right. <laughs> I don't know that. I'm just saying. But, you know, at that time, you know, I didn't have enough in my system to finance the entire house, right? But I had enough to do the remodeling. I had enough to do some repairs to the pool and whatnot. I had enough to upgrade the swamp coolers to AC. I had enough to put in, you know, some new upgrades. And I had the time, the house I was living in, to fix that up to become a really good rental. Right, I got rid of all the carpets and things and made it really low maintenance. I got rid of a lot. Of, I had a lot of landscaping there because I was there and I was maintaining it. But and then I went to zero escape when I wasn't going to be there to watch it all the time. Right. Right. And again, creating more, more just flexibilities for me. Right. And I, you know, having IBC there, the intangible is what I could uh, wait to move into my new home, get all the work done, not be there while a bunch of contractors are working in and out. Right. That's never been any fun. And then also at the same time, I was fixing up a property that was going to be cash fund to pay back those loans. So it was just a really good way to, to make it happen. And, and, you know, it could be a real stressful time buying new homes and moving and doing these things. And it wasn't that bad. Yeah, that's interesting. When was that? A couple of years? That was about two, two and a half years ago, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was about the same time. I don't guess I put that together because we were, you know, living in the house that we had lived in, you know, purchased, remodeled it, uh, like 17, 18 years prior, 16 years prior, something like that. Um, and we were looking, right? Well, we knew we had to upgrade the one we were living in to sell it. And then we decided to put a pool in it just to, um, you know, satisfy us if we had to stay there, you know, wanting to move, wanting to buy another house somewhere. Um, so we made those improvements, you know, in finance through the infinite bank concept. And then we found another property and we remodeled that, you know, made some improvements, not 100% remodel, but a lot of work. Um, doing both of those at the same time. I, I didn't really put that together, the timeline, and we kind of went through something very similar on the same timeline. But it does make a difference when you don't have to go down to the bank. and. Yeah, I like, I like when I think you had a previous uh, guest, uh, Jerry and Becky, and they said, you know, I'd just fire my contractor if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was great. <laughs> he would, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's a different way to operate again. You know, when you have that type of control, you see the world differently. You operate differently. Yeah. And, you know, even without the infinite banking concept, you'd have, you'd have done that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, you're going to do that anyway if, it, if the opportunity, you know, rose. And, I mean, you're going to do it anyway. So, hmm. You just increase your control. And, and oh, I bet you're, you know, for me, my blood pressure would go down and, you know, not have to worry about being dependent upon someone else and their timeline. I can't imagine building a new home today and have the the banker's inspector come out, you know, every, you know, three weeks or whatever to make sure that, you know, the percentage of the job matches the percentage of the draw. And just having that one more uh, thing to deal with while you're building, you know. Right. It's like, no, thank you. 
All right, so that was a couple of years ago. And, and uh, did you become an agent at that time? About the is that about the right? After thing? that, shortly after that, I became an agent. Uh, so your life's been pretty, you know, robust with just infinite banking. You yeah. know, becoming a client, using it, and then becoming an agent. Well, maybe share some experience with uh, becoming an agent and how that went, and then some of the things that you know, maybe other clients that you have. Um, I mean, whatever you're willing to share. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to. For me, you know, again, I, I never came in as looking to become an agent yeah. from the outset. You know. But going through and seeing the power of it, I really wanted to get some some people in my life involved. So that was the only way to I go. I mean, at the end of the day, you just wanted to help people you cared about, yeah. right? So then it took for me a long time to be comfortable. You know, I, I knew it was good for me, but to be able to be responsible for other people's, yeah. you know, finances and cash and money and wealth, you know, it took me a long time to say, am I, am I capable and comfortable doing that? You know? It's a little humbling, isn't it? Yeah. And so that's when we started talking to you quite a bit about this and getting your picking your brain and, and learning from you and the mentorship was, was, was very valuable. Coming to the point where I was really ready to take that on. Yeah. So then we talked about that. I got my license and we went started going down the, the NNI practitioner uh, think tank yeah. and got through that. Um, that was a great course, I thought. You know, for me, it was a good review on a lot of stuff because we already discussed most of that stuff prior to doing that. Yeah. And so that was, you know... Starting, a, it's like starting another business, right? So you got to figure out all the little, you know, odds and ends and all the administrative functions. Look at that, and you're in four businesses. <laughs> you know, you got DOD, the real estate, <clears throat> Anthony Banking, and uh, what's your other one? But, yeah, maybe there wasn't four. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, we may want to cut this next part out, but <laughs> you know, one of the things that I kind of do now with my policies is I got into trading stock options. You know. And um, I use my policies as kind of my the way to cover those. So that's been actually pretty lucrative, especially in these volatile markets. And I can, well, why don't you just you know do a margin account? Why? Because I control this, and I and I have the ability to, to move in and out as fast as I want to. So you don't give yourself margin calls? No, <laughs> <laughs> nope. I have nobody. Uh, you know, yeah. I'd probably rather cut that part out. Probably that's a. Little, I don't know if we want to tell. There's a lot of risk in that. I don't know if we want to put that. No, we're not giving any kind of investment advice. I mean, if you like to trade options, that's what you do, and you're not telling anyone to trade options or not. Um, and it really doesn't matter what the outside investment is, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if you happen to like that, and uh, <clears throat> I mean, it, 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 whatever it is you're going to finance, because you. We all finance everything we purchase, period. We either give up interest we could have earned elsewhere or otherwise, or we directly pay interest. So if I'm on a margin call, I'm directly paying interest. Directly. Right? And so yeah, you know, that I think that note you just brought up, you know, you're always paying interest somehow, right? I think that was a big uh, savings from IBC as well. I was always a cash buyer, right? I wouldn't yeah. even think about it. I wasn't valuing yeah. my capital appropriately. Exactly. And so, but you'll value somebody else, and it's all normal, natural. You know, it's the way we're brought up. It's like pay cash. You don't get into debt. You know, the the borrower is, <clears throat> you know, servant to the lender. Nobody wants to be in that position. Although I personally believe that we're born in a debt construct against our will. We had no knowledge. We had no choice. You know, I mean, that's the the narrative that we live in. Um, so I get that paying cash. You know, and the cash buyer they have a very hard time. You know, uh, thinking through, why would I pay somebody interest when I can go pay cash? And so that all of the intangibles of what, you know, is going to go on over and over and over throughout your life. And, and no matter what you invest in, your money went into a life insurance policy first. 
and then you're investing in what you were going to invest in anyway. Yeah. That's but then you have more control. You have more control and your money's working multiple places. Right? Yeah. And you have the life insurance policy, you know, the tax-free income in retirement, passive income in retirement, you know, a legacy, the death benefit. You can't discount the death benefit. I know it's greatly discounted in the infinite banking world, but there's a value to that. And the older you get, the Per, your perception might change on the value of a death benefit. Yeah. And, you know, death benefit is very valuable. I, at first, I didn't value it. Yeah. But I started thinking about it, you know, a little deeper. And I saw my father grow older and whatnot. He always was accumulating, you know, wealth and whatnot. But he never spent on it himself. He always had it ready for everybody else in case somebody needed it, right? He never enjoyed it while he was young enough to enjoy it. Yeah. And then I, I, with this death benefit now, back up your policy, guess what? You can you can take more vacation, you enjoy more time with your family, and do those things, and finance it through yourself. And guess what? Enjoy that funds while you're alive with your family to do it. And that's that's nothing tangible that gets overlooked. Gives you the permission, yeah, to spend money that you might not have otherwise spent because you want to leave a legacy or take care of others. Right. That's very powerful. You know, I mean, like I said earlier, I have clients in their nineties. I have a lot of clients in their seventies and their eighties, and you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and even today, okay, um, it was very prevalent that it's like, I've got this money, I'm retired, I've got this money in this account or that account or whatever, and I want to eat beans and rice. I want to live, like, very simply, and I'm not, I love living simply myself, you know, I'm not saying that that's a negative, but go without on things that they should not go without, whether it's you know, maintenance on their home right. or the the trip or the vacation while they're young, whatever it is, giving money away while you're alive, not waiting until you've graduated to give money away. That's that's tremendous. Uh, but I've had lots of clients and uh, over the years, and they don't want to spend the money because they want to leave it to their children or their grandchildren. In life insurance, the death benefit, I'm not saying it solves everything in the world, but it'll it'll greatly uh, help you rethink the idea of going without so you can have what you want or what you should have or what you could enjoy while you're alive yeah. and leave a legacy. See, that I think when people start getting into the IBC, I see it. People talk to me about it, right? I'm not really interested in death benefit. I really want to do this, this, yeah. this baking strategy and have these cash values. And I was the same way at first, right? But you start thinking about it, that death benefit is really valuable. It puts this whole thing together and makes it work, you know? Yeah. And um, without it, yeah, it, it's going to fall apart. Your, your perspective changes. I know mine did. You know, it's uh, when I met Nelson, it was way back. The first thing I did was I flew home and, and restructured all of my life insurance. And now I have more life insurance than I ever thought I would have. You know, and I was a life insurance agent. You know, was, I didn't devalue the death benefit, but um, I mean, whenever you solve for the banking function, you know, Nelson says it. He's like, you, you, you're going to ask for so much death benefit, you could barely get it past the underwriter, you know, because that's all they think about is death benefit and premium, you know. So it's okay to have a death benefit. And this idea that, you know, you can be overinsured or insurance poor is hogwash, you know, you cannot be overinsured. I mean, it's possible, you know, there's certain circumstances that that could be true, but for the majority, it, it is not true because we're all limited on how much death benefit we can have, just like we're limited 
you know, how much premium that we can pay. I mean, we have our own limits, and the limits are between our ears, but the industry has their own limits for us. And that's what I'm talking about. They're not, you know, if, if uh, you earn $100,000 and you're 50 years old, you know, you're not going to get a $10 million death benefit based on that income and your age. They have limits. And and it's okay to, you know, test the limits in life, <laughs> you know. That's, that's very powerful. I mean, you brought up a couple of really good points that, you know, I'm not an engineer. I don't think like an engineer. I mean, I think like an engineer when it comes to policy structure because, um, you know, the very points that you made earlier, you know, the future is unknown, the unknown variables, and you can only, you cannot know the future, right? Um, but you can absolutely know that there are variables and unknowns in the future and then building something as strong and not overbuilding it not getting lost in the weeds on the structure but you know proper structure is very important and the way you uh, put that in terms of an engineer's yeah I mean, that's what engineers do they, they they build for the unknowns and also efficiency right try yeah. to do the most efficient way possible so yeah yeah <clears throat> and then um you know, just talking about policy structure, when do you want the policy to be most efficient? What year, this year, next year, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, which year would you want that policy to be most efficient? All of them. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so if I pick a number, a, a date and time in the future, it's like, well, I want to go cash on cash in year four, year five. It's like, at what expense? You know. Yeah, see, I think people get caught up in that too, trying to go cash and cash as fast as they can. In reality, you know, if you, when you start designing these policies, if you're not cashing, you're very close, right? Yeah. So if that match number is in four years, five years, eight years, it's not like you're very far off if you, the longer yeah. you go out. And so it's not going to make a big change in your lifestyle or what you're doing. So, right. And so it's not, it's not worth it. The risk reward to make a fragile policy to get that go so early isn't there. You wouldn't, I wouldn't want to risk you know, a lifelong asset for a couple of years for a couple, you know, extra percentage points exactly. early, right? Yeah, yeah. And I love the uh, internal rates of return argument out there. And it's, you know, oh, I'm solving for internal rate of return. You know, Nelson clearly said it's not about rates of any kind. Um, but I get it, you know, especially if you're a, an options trader or an investor or real estate or whatever, you know, uh, a business owner. I mean, we all, you know, are aware of our margins and, you know, yeah. I get it. Um but when it typically when it comes to life insurance, uh, you know, I can take a, a fragile design and I may not know how fragile it is in the beginning, but, you know, for the sake of argument, it's fragile. And but it's a higher rate of return compared to one that maybe is less fragile or not fragile over a long period of time. But I, there's no way for me to. In the beginning, it's very difficult for me to understand the fragility in the future, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the difference in the internal rate of return is most of the time fractions. Yes. Compared to what you're doing outside the policy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. I think, again, going back to your previous guest, Jerry Becky, I think he said, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care, right? <laughs> that, that, was, that was a good episode. I like that one. But, uh, yeah, you know, like the examples I gave earlier, the real value wasn't what my policy was doing. Yeah. The real value I had was outside the policy and all these other yeah. things I was using my policy to control. Yeah, the real value of investing in whatever that was, right? Yeah. So, but that and the value of the policy and the value of the policy to do the next deal or the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the younger you are, there's going to be many, many more next things. You know, it's like, hmm. So, it's really simple. I mean, it's what I have. 
Yeah, and going back to the engineering thing, you know, engineers say KISS, keep it simple. Yeah. If they keep it simple, chance starts going to work. Really? The engineers really say that? that that's what Engineering 101 in US school. They don't actually do it, but that, that's what they say. <laughs> I'm glad you said it, not me. <laughs> you said it, not me. Um, yeah, you know, simplicity is a virtue. Yeah. No question about that. And that's another thing. You know, I think people overcomplicate this. They come in here and think this is a brand new strategy. Well, you know, it's got to have 10,000 bells and whistles. And then they realize, wow, it's, it's actually very simple. It's actually yeah. very... You know, the light bulb goes off. Yeah. Did you wake up in a couple of years and because I know you've seen the illustrations. We all see the illustrations before we put money and pay a premium. You know, we look at those numbers, but and I'm not I'm I'm not uh, I don't want to engineer your answer. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But did you ever have a time that you woke up and looked at your cash values and was a little bit surprised that like the first year or two, you know, I tracked my angle was pretty closely, see what's going on compared to the illustrations. And, you know, they did a little better than what we illustrated. And I was like, wow. I, I thought that, you know, you had a non-guaranteed and a guaranteed section. I thought I'd fall somewhere in between. Yeah. But I've actually felt a little slightly above the non-guaranteed. So I was, yeah. that was that surprised me. Now, in the, in the early years, too, in a low interest rate environment, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's very good, right? Which uh, speaks directly to the financial... Uh, strength of the life insurance company and they're all strong in the in the mutual world they're you know most all of them are very strong um but it's important how uh a life insurance company is is ran right um and their philosophy yeah you know because it matters it's your money and being in the early years you know so they were looking you know 35 20, 30, 35, 50 years into the future, I mean, is it going to is it gonna uh, derail everything you've done if you're not exactly where it projected? No. In fact, I, I value in that particular structure, in that particular policy, the flexibility is more important to me, right? The unscheduled premiums I can make, you know, yeah. and not have to go through underwriting over and over again. And, yeah. You know, that 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 would derail me in the future if I didn't yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That's real. It does derail. You know, it's like, and I'm not picking on anything or, or anyone, but, you know, the idea of buy term and invest the difference, you know, if you buy the term and you don't invest the difference, you know, then what happens? What if your investment didn't turn out, you know, as you expected it to where you never got to the point where you became self-insured, which means no insurance? Um, and, and then you wake up at, you know, 55, 50, 55 or 60 and, you know, you've had a heart attack or... Um, you're not quite that uber young, super preferred guy, you know, and then you got to go through underwriting. Yeah. And I experienced that with some of my clients, right? They they got on board with the process. They understood. And, you know, yes, this is something we're going to do this year. We're going to get to it. But life happens. So they yeah. put on hold for a little bit in that time frame. A cancer pops up or something, mm-hmm. you know, and all of a sudden they're uninsurable. Now it became way more valuable than it was some two, three months ago. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, that that was eye opening. It didn't happen to me once. It happened multiple times. Yeah. So it's more common than than I expected, you know. Yeah. Most people don't think about it, but, um, you know, typically it happens suddenly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you become aware of it suddenly anyway. You think, oh, I'm great, and go to the doctor, and it's like, well, no, no, you're not. Yeah, I mean, we're still able to help those from the bank perspective, you know, help those individuals. But, again, that insurance became a lot more valuable that day. Yeah. That And sometimes that's tragedy, you know. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily the end of the world, but um, it could be a rude awakening, you know. And just going through life, you know, I mean, we, we generally are never healthier 
and younger than we are right now, you know? Um, and that's one thing too, talking about intangibles, if I go back to the intangibles, you know, if I'm, if I know I'm going to buy life insurance, not only now, but you know, I'm going to buy it in the future. Um, it's not that I'm not aware of my health. You know, we're all aware of our bodies and our health and, um, but then there's that that little guy that's like, you know, you're going to buy a life insurance policy in another three months or another six months or two months or whatever your timeline is. You know, it's uh, it makes it, may, it makes me think about what I put in my mouth and yeah, you know, motivated to keep yourself healthy and going. That's you know, another another thing to to motivate you. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's like paying the premium too. You know, it's like I know I got a premium due and uh, truly look forward to him today. But um, it's like now and. It, it's, I mean, it just kind of adds some structure. It kind of adds some discipline that uh, we all need discipline or nothing that you do is going to work, right? But it adds structure. It's like, I know I've got to pay a premium in the future day. And, and this idea of forced savings, you know, I mean, I get that term and, you know, I've used it and, and heard it. It's like, no, this is a, a long program that I'm going to practice my whole life and it requires premiums, right? And so, now I'm aware that I've got to make it happen and I'd rather not come up with a premium on a sporadic basis. You know, here comes a, a premium. It's like taxes due in real estate, you know, you got to pay them every year. You know, you can either plan for them throughout the year or you can, you know, sporadically, you know, do whatever you got to do, the juggling that you got to do right before they're due. So I'm just saying a consistent, you know, path. I know I'm going to pay this premium and I know I'm going to, um, buy more life insurance in the future. It helps a guy like me uh, who, I mean, I do okay with structure. You know, I mean, not too much. I'm just saying that's a value to me. Right. Right. Um, that well, going back to what you said earlier, you're going to be saving anyways. Yeah. Right? So why not do it in a, in a more favorable position, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, what else? What else you want to cover, young man? Um, let's see. <clears throat> I mean, anything you think we left out, or of course we leave a lot out. We only have an hour. Yeah, I mean, we go back and forth, so sometimes it's hard to <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get your thoughts in order. Well, the other the other alternative is to put an agenda on what to talk about, right? And uh, that defeats. I, I like the structure of your po- podcast. Wherever it goes, where it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we ought to try to recap. You know what? Um, kind of maybe if we can round anything out. You know. Um, what, what you think, like, looking back now, now that you can look back into history five and a half years, you know, would you have done anything different or? You warned me about this, too. I wish I would have bought bigger and <laughs> started earlier, right? Right. But, we, you know, when we find out, when we were exposed to this idea, we all play catch up no matter how old we are, you know, from that point forward. But, okay, so looking back, that's very common. Wish I'd have paid more than premium, but. You know, you're still healthy, so you can still buy more. Right. Uh, I think for me, you know, I did the proper amount of vetting for me, right? You did the what? Proper amount of vetting. It okay. took longer than I thought it should, but but it was necessary. It was necessary to get the education first yeah. before I jumped into it. I think that helped me be successful with it. So if somebody were, what would, you know, want to vet this idea and, you know, what does proper education mean to you? And then we'll maybe translate it on what I would encourage and what maybe you would encourage a listener to do. Proper education, I think, is a two-way street. It's it's a relationship between 
a person and their advisor, right? Their agent. And obviously, reading the, the source, the book. Becoming your own banker. Right? Then you have, first, I think Ryan said, I made that great seven-part series. Once you get past the initial discussions, more deeper into the concept. And then two, the agent's got to really learn about you and your individual situation. How can they best serve you? How can they best set something up for you? And that's, that's a two-way discussion, right? You got to be able to talk with them and let them know your goals and what you're doing in life. And same thing, they got to see how to best implement them. Because early on, people won't know exactly what to do or how to do it, right? It takes a couple of years to get experience and, and then they know. But the initial time frame, that's a two-way street. You got you to be working with somebody who can help educate you and you got to be working, willing to be educated. Yep. Yep, you got to be willing. That's right. And so, have you learned quite a bit working with um, your clients? Yeah, yeah. I mean, things that I would, you know, what they're doing in their lives is different than what I'm doing, right? And yeah. so, how the, again, it's infinite, right? Infinite banking. There's so many different applications that I've seen. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to probably try to incorporate some of that what I'm doing, too. Yeah. Okay, so if you were going to encourage a listener to educate themselves, right? So, it's becoming your own banker. Becoming your own banker. And then what else? Is that it? Uh, uh, Baking with Live podcast, obviously, right? Thank you. I appreciate that. It was, you know. Uh, again, the seven-part series that Ryan put together. I think uh, the Mechanic series by Ryan Griggs. Right. Uh, there's more books. I think there's a great reading list in the back of this book, and you can always yeah. get more information, right? Yeah. And so that's a good start. And then again, you got to find somebody who you can really work with and trust, and then they will guide you to next step education. Somebody can say, "Okay, here's where I see what pieces you're missing. You need to go." get smarter on this area. Yeah. And how would they find that? How would you encourage somebody to find that? The ed- first step is, you know, the NI practitioner page, right? And then from and there. Infinitebanking.org, practitioner finder. Right. And that that gives you at least a starting point, a list of people in your area that can help you. Yeah. And then you got to go and, you know, do the homework and now see who you align with, see who you can work with. Right. Because, you, you know, everybody's different, different personalities. But if you're looking in New Mexico, there's only one guy. Only one right? option. That's him. <laughs> do, you, do you have clients in other states? I do. I do. I have clients all over the country. And so, okay. like I said, when I first started, I thought I'd be very localized to just my area when I was doing it. And quickly, right away, um, yeah, I, the word got out and I've got clients all over the place now. Yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, I would add to the book. Uh, reading, you know, becoming your own banker, how privatized banking really yeah. works. But um, Nelson's second book, right in the middle. So let me becoming your own banker, building your warehouse of wealth, and then how privatized banking really works as far as reading. And then Nelson's six and a half hour um, live seminar. It's downloadable, not download. It's not downloadable. I've said that several times on several different podcasts. It's available. Uh, it's, uh, digitally, right? you have to go to infinitebanking.org, set up a username and pay for it and an account where you can access it digitally. Um, or you could buy the DVD series. I mean, do you even still have a DVD? Play? I have your DVD. Uh, the, the I have the DVD, but I don't have a DVD player. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Do you, have a DVD? you don't even have a game box? I, I do, actually. Yeah, my, my sons have one, but that's oh, theirs. Okay. They won't let me touch it. They won't let you touch it. Right? <laughs> but Nelson's six and a half hour uh, DVD series or his live talk, I think um, that would do the listener very well to to get that and go through that a couple of times. Um, and then, of course, the uh, Nelson Nash Institute, they have a bunch of videos available. You know, the Lyra Murphy's got a podcast and... So I think that there's a lot of content out there, and I think that there should be more content out there. But if you start with those fundamentals, you know, right to the source, yeah. I think it'll help. Yeah, and to that point, there is a lot of content now, especially a lot more than when I started with this. 
it can get confusing, right? That's why I say start with the source, think of someone who can direct you to where you need to brush up on it. Because there's there's you know ten thousand hours of stuff out there, right? And yeah, you can sit there and watch all day and never do anything. Yeah, that's true. We got to notice. I think this week that we have a million views on YouTube. You don't get like a YouTube plaque, a fancy like. Nah, you know, somebody forwarded me an email that had a little <laughs> graphic on there. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, all right, what else, Care? So do you have your uh, website up and running? It'll be up in the next week or two, so by the time this airs, it'll probably be up. Okay, well, we'll when it when you have it up and running, we'll put it in the, okay. you know, put a link in, in, the, in the notes below. But this, you know, this episode may not be out for several. Yeah. Uh, weeks, maybe a month. I don't know. Yeah, by the time I think this episode's out, I'll be yeah. up and running. Listen, you're an engineer. Make it happen. All right. All I'm, these people are going to want to talk to you. Yeah, you know, this is this has been a good journey. I've, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to stay at the DOD? Um, I'm, now I'm getting more, like I said, more entrepreneurial-minded, more investor-minded. That part of me is, is going to start transitioning away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they may or may not watch it. Listen, he's a dedicated employee. Quit it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else? No, James. I really appreciated my time here. And I really enjoyed talking with you. Every time discussing it is always a great time. Time well spent. I appreciate that. I enjoy you and your company and your conversation as well. I'm glad we so. got to come here and see the world headquarters in person. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? You got the tour. I finally got the, the fabulous tour that James has been talking about and it was, yeah. you know, met my expectations. Of course, it's Saturday. You know, most of the team members are gone. Everybody's gone but the AV Ninjas. Uh, normally, we have a full house around here. But, you know, you're going to meet all them next week. Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the live event. I think that's going to be a great, uh, a great event. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Okay, thanks for listening. Um, I had fun. Hope you had fun. Had a great time. Thanks, James. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.